0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's awesome to have you with us. Hello to those of you joining us online. Uh, in our parent viewing rooms, that's a great option if you have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service. Also, uh, in our cafe area, we've got uh, viewing there as well. So if, uh, if you ever need to step out in that direction, you can do that. Uh, speaking of the cafe area, before we jump into today, I want to let you know that uh, we're doing something this afternoon called a welcome party what that means is if you've been coming anytime since Easter and we haven't had the chance to really just sit down and connect face to face, I would love to invite you to this this afternoon. Uh, we're just going to be hanging out here in our cafe, having some coffee. We've got uh, childcare available and uh, we just want to get to know you. There's really no agenda other than we would love to connect with you, uh, learn more about you, and uh, answer any questions that you might have about the church, and uh, just kind of have a face-to-face. So if that's something you're interested in and uh, you haven't registered yet, uh, just write welcome party on your connection card and drop it into one of the giving stations on your way out today, and we'll make sure we have plenty of coffee and childcare ready to go for you this afternoon. So that's at 4 o'clock right here at the church in our cafe area, and we'd love to see you there. Now, uh, next week we're launching a brand new series called Faith Forward. It's all about uh, walking through the—there's a letter that uh, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote to the early church, and we're going to walk through that. There's incredible wisdom in that. But today we're wrapping up our parenting series. And uh, I started off last weekend talking about some of my favorite uh, Sarcastic Mommy tweets, and I wanted to give you my favorite ones from this week to kick off today. So these are uh, some that Sarcastic Mommy retweeted. This one's from uh, Daddy Go Fish. He says, my kid is literally eating dirt in the backyard, but yeah, I'll go ahead and triple wash these grapes. <laughs> We've all been there, right? Uh, this one's retweeted. This is Aaron to go. My three-year-old is looking for her play school keys that are right in front of her face. I'd help her, but this is a real life scenario she's going to have to get used to. <laughs> and that's just good parenting, right? Because he's preparing her for life. I love this upside dad accidentally put grown-up toothpaste on my toddler's toothbrush and he screamed like I was cleaning his teeth with a Carolina Reaper dipped in Tabasco sauce. Anybody ever gotten the wrong flavor of toothpaste for your kid and it's like the tragic end of the world scenario, right? Uh, I love this dad man walking. Apparently telling a teenager to take a five-minute shower, there's three more people after you, means take a longer shower. We have unlimited hot water. And if you have teenagers, you know that is absolutely true. And then this one, uh, my seven-year-old can turn a conversation that could have been an email into five Zoom meetings. <laughs> and that is a fact. Sometimes the stories though, from your kids just go on and on and on and on, right? And today we're wrapping up a series on parenting, and I would encourage you, if you're jumping in at the end of the movie here, uh, you can go back and check out the first two weeks. The first week we talked about four phases of parenting and why they matter. Uh, last week we talked about four things every kid needs from parents. And then uh, today we're going to look at some things that we need to pay attention to as parents, things that need to be kind of uh, really on our radar screen as we go through life. And I can tell you there's a lot of things that can get away from us if we don't pay attention to them. For me, one of those things is whether or not my microphone is muted on a Sunday morning. And I can tell you, last weekend, it was not. In fact, last weekend, I have a little button right on the pack that I can mute myself, and it cuts off the entire signal so that uh, nobody hears anything, right? I can move around the building just fine. Uh, And then last week, uh, even when I forget to mute it, which is pretty rare, uh, but last week I forgot to mute it. And it doesn't come through the speakers because they do a good job back there keeping it muted in here. But what I didn't realize is it shows up on the recording. And so last week, I was in the back of the room, right back there, and I was like, they were singing a song, and I was like belting it out and making a joyful noise and very unconcerned with Key. Uh, and so I wanted to play a little clip of that for you. Here you go. Check this out. cut that off. So needless to say, I am not trying out for American Idol anytime soon, all right? Just want to let you know that, but uh, there's some things you got to keep track of. And if you don't, eh, look what happens, right? And here's the truth. Uh, Another thing we need to keep track of as parents is a certain number. There's some numbers we got to keep track of, which may sound a little unspiritual, but we are a culture that's obsessed with numbers, aren't we? Uh, We use numbers to measure speed. Believe me, I know. Uh, been pulled over once or twice. Uh, we've got, uh, whenever there's a powerball, uh, coming out, right? A drawing, we pay attention to the numbers. Uh, most of us have a scale in the bathroom so that we can keep track of the numbers. Uh, with the Guinness Book of World Records, it's fun to look at because we can see some fun numbers there. Uh, did you know the tallest man ever was Robert Waldo at, uh, eight foot eleven? That's unbelievable, right? Uh, oldest person from the modern era was jean Louise Calmist at 122 years old. Fascinating. Uh, oldest person to father a child, Larry King. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> is actually a, a 96-year-old man from India. And the longest ear hair is a man whose hair was 25 centimeters long. Now, that has nothing to do with today, but that you just get to go home with free knowledge. That's for you. So you're welcome. And we use uh, numbers to measure distance. We use numbers to keep track of the time and score of sporting events. Uh, we, we will track uh, when the Vikings beat the Lions here this afternoon. I mean, it's going to be amazing. And uh, we love numbers. We can count and track and measure and weigh things. We even use numbers to measure years, to measure time. And so we recognize uh, that's what a birthday is, right? It's, hey, here's another year of my life that I have been alive. And so this many years have gone by in my life. And we measure that. And the reason that's so important is because when it comes to parenting, if you don't know what you're shooting for, then it's very difficult to hit the target. And the fact is, it's never more true than when it comes to parenting, And so we've got to keep in mind some numbers. And here's, again, why this matters. Check this out. Faithful parenting always begins with the end in mind. Faithful parenting always begins with the end in mind, because if you don't know what you're shooting for, then how do you know what you're doing when it comes to parenting? And what if we could think about the end result that we want with our kids, and then we could kind of reverse engineer that, and make some decisions that would help us get where we want to go when it comes to parenting. And the truth is, you can do that to a certain extent. Now, granted, every kid has their own personality. Every kid has their own uh, temperament. Every kid has their own uh, sort of wiring. But the truth is, there are some things that you can do that when it comes to parenting, if we are proactively measuring our time and the time that you have left, then you can use that to move towards a target. And you don't have to uh, just react to whatever life is throwing at you. You can be proactive. And while we're busy tracking and measuring and weighing and, you know, sort of using numbers every single day, wisdom would suggest that we think about the time that we've been given with our kids. In fact, there's a psalm, and uh, while many of the psalms have been written by King David and a couple of other writers, uh, this one in particular is written by Moses. It's an older psalm, and it says this, Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And the implication here is that when you recognize the time that you've been given, it forces you to think about it differently. It forces you to recognize, okay, I have a limited amount of time, so I better use it well, whatever time has been entrusted to me. And based on that reality, when it comes to parenting, that should be our prayer. God, I've got a specific amount of time that you've entrusted these kids to me so help me to make the most of the time I've been given. Give me the wisdom to recognize that I don't have forever with this, uh, with this uh, boy or this girl. I don't have forever with my son and my daughter. I have a specific amount of time. Teach me to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. And think about it like this. If a doctor told you, okay, you only have six months left to live, you would probably realign some things in your life, wouldn't you? You'd probably do some things differently, especially when it comes to your relationship with your kids. There would be some things that would suddenly become a priority. There would be some things that would rise to the surface of how you would parent and the things you would want to communicate. And the truth is, most of us don't live with that sense of urgency on a day-to-day basis. I know I don't. With that, that urgency that comes from recognizing I do have a limited amount of time, and it may not be six months, but w- nobody knows. We're not promised tomorrow. And so the truth is, for most of us, we don't live with that sense of urgency because we don't feel that time is slipping away but can i tell you something it is it's a sobering reality so how do we become better at numbering our days we've talked about this many times before here at westbridge but the truth is you have 936 weeks from the time that your child is born to the time that they turn 18 you have 936 weeks think about that that's that's kind of crazy to think about and it goes by so quickly my youngest son is 8 years old that means uh, he's been alive for 424 weeks he just turned 8 424 weeks he's been alive. Now, when I look at my eight-year-old, I I think just, you know, sort of subconsciously like, oh, we have so much time with this kid, right? He's so young. But he's, next year he'll be nine. That's the halftime show. He's halfway to 18 next summer. Like, that kind of blew my mind when I thought about it this week because I still think of him as like, you know, the young one. He's going to be around forever, you know? And the truth is, we only have 512 weeks left with him. We've already had 424 weeks. There's only 512 weeks left. Our 19-year-old is already out of the house. Our 16 and our 14-year-old are quickly moving in that direction. And so the question that each of us as parents need to wrestle with in our own minds is, what is the result that I want to see with my kids? And what can I do with whatever time I've been entrusted with to move in that direction and make that happen? And so today, I want to give you just four big results that we want to see with our kids. This is, these are the things that, man, this is what my wife and I want with our four kids. These are the things that we want with them. And you might have your own list and you might have some things that you go, you know what, I'm going to add to that. And totally cool. This is, this list that I'm going to give you today is not meant to be an exhaustive list, but I would encourage you not to leave any of these four off of your list. You might have some other things you want to add, but I'd encourage you not to leave any of these off. So here's four results that we want to have with our kids. Number one, we want to have ongoing friendship with our kids ongoing friendship with our kids. In other words, we want our kids to want to be around us and each other when they no longer have to be. That's one of the goals that we have as parents. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that these phases of parenting, and that uh, there comes a point in their life where they turn 18 and beyond. And that season from 18 and beyond is a lot longer than the season from zero to 18. The phrase we used a couple of weeks ago is later is longer, right? Right? And so in the heat of the moment during these seasons of parenting when they're younger, the truth is we have to keep in mind at the end of this, we want them to want to be around us. We want them to want to bring the grandkids over. We, we want them to maintain friendship with us. And we want them to maintain friendship with each other long after they're no longer in our household, living in our house. That means you have to take the long view when it comes to parenting. And sometimes parenting isn't about what is best for them right now as much as it's, how does this help us accomplish the end goal? In other words, you've heard the phrase, pick your battles, right? And sometimes you've got to go, you know what? I don't want to pick that battle right now because at the end of the day, my goal, my goal is to maintain friendship with my kids. And so right now, I want to scream at you because that will make me feel better. But at the end of the day, that is not going to help me have a friendship later. Right now, I, I want to just ground you for a month because that will make me feel better. I want to send you to your room so I don't have to see you because that will make me feel better. But that, that's not going to help us have a friendship later necessarily. I want, right now, I want to send you to boarding school in London. <laughs> but that probably won't help us have friendship later, right? It simply doesn't happen by accident. It requires us to pull out of the, the momentary frustration And it requires us to say, okay, I'm not going to sacrifice what I want long term for what's going to satisfy me in the moment. What I want the most for what I want right now. And so we have to be proactive and not reactive. In Romans chapter 15, this is the Apostle Paul, he's writing to uh, a group of people who are followers of Jesus throughout the Roman Empire, and uh, in these verses, I love what he writes, he says this, this is not specifically about parenting or families, it's just about relationships in general, but he says, May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. And what I love is Paul's use of the word harmony because it means there's a lot of different voices going on but they're not conflicting with each other. Now that's very different than what you heard you know, a few minutes ago. Uh, harmony is like, hey, we're, we're singing different parts but it all flows together and makes something beautiful. We're all different voices and yet we're, we're, we're singing the same thing. And I love his picture in that because while he's not writing specifically for just family relationships I can't think of another place where that applies more is that, man, you know what? We want to experience harmony with our kids because this is what our Heavenly Father does with us. He, he, he lets us with our voice. He doesn't punish us. But then he, he brings it all together and makes something beautiful out of it. And that's what we want with our, our kids and our family. We want them when they're adults and when they have their own kids and, you know, that, man, they want to be together, that they want to experience the harmony of being together, that we can live in that harmony with one another. And so we want an ongoing friendship with our kids. But to do that, we got to go, okay, teach me to make the most of my time. Teach me to make the most of my time now. Give me, help me to understand that my days are numbered so that I may grow a heart of wisdom. Here's the second thing that we want with our kids. We want them to have security in their identity. Security in their identity. This can be so difficult in a world that, uh, man, has so many different things that are being thrown at them about who they are and, and who they should be. And every single one of us in some point in our lives has a picture of what we want our family to look like. And it's based on all kinds of different factors, ranging from the way that we grew up, to things that we've read, to things that we've seen on TV, to the the family construct that we were a part of. Maybe families that you saw and interacted with where you're like, I don't want to be that picture. And so when my wife and I uh, first met and we started dating, we got engaged and we were talking about what our family would look like. Initially, we were like, we're going to have seven kids. We both wanted seven kids. We had a big family, seven kids. Then we had a kid, and we were like, maybe, maybe four. And then we had a second kid, and we were like, probably three, and that's it, you know. And so we quit after three. So we have we have uh, three incredible kids, and then and we have another one as well. So four total, and um, <laughs> and he came along later, right? It was like surprise. But the picture kept changing, it kept changing, it kept changing, and as soon as you have kids, whatever picture you have gets blown out of the water. All right? The temptation for us as parents is to try to get our kids to conform to whatever picture we had in our minds. And I did a quick Google search for family pictures. I just wanna show you some of the ones that came up. Here's the first one that popped up. Very typical family, right? Just family of supermodels. Yeah, super typical, yeah. This is the quintessential picture of the typical American family, right? Dad, mom, and their two biological kids, one son, one daughter, uh, right? Dark hair, blonde, everybody, it's, everything's represented, right? The only problem with this picture is that's not very typical. In fact, according to the latest research, about 23.5% of married couples live with their own biological children that they had together, which means over 75% of families don't look like that. Over 75% of families include same-gender parents, blended families, single-parent households, adopted children, extended families living together. Now, that doesn't mean that you should feel bad if you are a traditional family. You shouldn't have any guilt around that at all. You just need to know that to try to force that picture onto your family may set you up for disappointment. It may be difficult to do. Let me show you another picture that uh, popped up in my Google search. There's another one right? Mom, dad, two kids. These guys even have a dog, all right? It's like the quintessential family. And uh, and you look at this and you go, well, that's the perfect family. Look at them, right? But here's the truth. This is a perfect moment in time. This does not mean it's a perfect family. You have no idea what was going on before this picture was taken or after this picture was taken. This is a moment caught in time. In fact, you have no idea that this kid right here has ADHD and was bouncing off the walls right before this, chasing the dog all over the place, and that the daughter has a learning disability and that mom is totally stressed out because they're five months behind on their mortgage, and dad, who's a pharmaceutical rep, is hooked on Oxycontin. Now, I made all that up, but you you get my point, right? Right? Yet we think, well, that's the picture of what we're supposed to become. But I'm telling you, if you hold too tightly to these pictures or images or, or whatever you think your child is supposed to become, it wrecks their identity. It wrecks who, who they believe themselves to be. And it's unfair and it's unachievable for them to fit the mold of whatever you thought it was going to be. And so here's what you need to do. As parents, we need to constantly be the biggest cheerleader in the lives of our kids to become everything God has created them to be. To find their identity, not in what they accomplish, but in who they become. To find their identity, not in the things that they've done, but in who they belong to. That is where you find the deepest sense of identity. In fact, the Apostle Paul, writing a letter to a church in Ephesus in the first century, this is how he writes it. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are Christ's masterpiece, he says. He says, God created you. You're unique. He's created you to be exactly who he wanted you to be. You are his masterpiece, and he's got things for you to accomplish and things for you to do. And this is difficult for some parents because you always wanted your son or your daughter to follow in your footsteps, and they don't fit the mold, and you have to let that go because who they're becoming is so much more important than what they accomplish, and you serve them best when you help them discover who God created them to be, not fit the mold of what you hoped they would become. Who they're becoming is so much more important than what they accomplish. And when you look at your family, my guess is it probably looks a lot different now than you thought it would. No one told you that your kid would get that sick. Nobody told you your son wouldn't be athletic like you. No one told you that your daughter might have a learning disability. No one told you it would be this hard. No one told you it would be this difficult. No one told you that they would have different interests than you, and you feel like you don't have anything in common, or—and I just imagine, like, well, I'm a pastor, so my kids will wake up every morning, just make coffee for me, and quote Bible verses. Good morning, Father. Right? Here you go. (laughs) Wrong. Some parents unintentionally communicate, and it's never on purpose, but what they communicate is, I care more about what you're accomplishing than who you're becoming. And what happens then is kids find their identity in what they accomplish And what they do, it's always built around what they're doing. And they have to accomplish and accomplish and accomplish. And what happens when that goes away is that they no longer know who they are. And we want our kids to know, look, your identity is rooted in who you belong to. And right now, you you belong to us. But before you belong to us, you belong to God. You, you can find your identity in something deeper than what you ever accomplish, what you ever achieve, what you ever accumulate, whatever success you have or don't have. There's something so much deeper that makes you who you are because there is a, a heavenly father who created the entire universe and he created you and he loves you. And so if you never, ever accomplish anything that you think you set out to accomplish, you have value. You have worth. And I'm telling you, that flies in the face of a culture that constantly throws at our kids these lives of comparison, where we're constantly comparing ourselves to everybody's highlight reel. We've got to communicate this. I can't expect our kids to fit our picture. See, God has shaped your kids in a unique way. He's given them different spiritual gifts and interests and abilities and experiences and personalities. And if you if you can't Celebrate who God has created them to be, then you'll waste precious time that you have with them. And I'm just telling you, like that stubborn, strong-willed child that you feel you have no control over, at 33, that's going to be a strong person of conviction. All right? The, the, the kid who always refuses to color in the lines, at 42 years old, will be winning awards as an innovative business leader. Right? The, the seven-year-old who can't sit still for more than 90 seconds, that's called a multitasking executive. And the kid who just always starts projects and is always doing new things and never seems to pick up after themselves, that's called an entrepreneur. I'm just telling you, celebrate who they're becoming and and help them understand their identity is rooted in who they belong to. That's what we want for our kids. We want them to know your identity is not about what you accomplish. It's about who God created you to be. Here's the third thing we want with our kids. We want them to have a growing sense of accountability for themselves. A growing sense of accountability for themselves one of the end results that we want our kids to have is that they understand that they are responsible for their own lives as an adult that they can connect the dots between these are the decisions that i make and the outcomes and i live with the outcomes because i made that decision and so many parents spend so much time protecting their kids from life rather than preparing their kids for life And I'm so grateful that my parents, one of the greatest gifts they gave me from an early age was going, look, this is your decision. You have to live with the consequence. But just so you know, this isn't a decision that just takes place here. In the moment, every decision leads somewhere. There's a consequence, cause and effect. They helped me from an early age understand that I'm accountable for my actions. I'm accountable for my decisions. I'm responsible for my own life. Not only would it impact my life, but I would be accountable to God for how I live my life, for the decisions that I made in my life. And not in a weird, like, God's going to get you kind of a way. Not like that. But in the sense that, man, uh, whatever resources, whatever talents, whatever abilities, whatever influence, whatever you have has been entrusted to you by God. And someday you're going to answer for what you did with all that you've been given. And so you want to be able to say, I took the things that you had entrusted to me, and I did my best to manage those things and use them to make a difference in the world. And I got to tell you, that single idea has shaped my life as an adult probably more than any other idea that my parents instilled in me. And that's what we want for our kids. We want them to understand you are responsible for your own life, that you're able to connect the dots between the choices I make now and where that leads. Again, in his uh, letter... The Apostle Paul is writing in the first century. He writes to a group of churches in a region called Galatia. And here's what he writes. He says, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. We are each responsible for our own conduct. And we want to give our kids the tools to become mature and responsible adults. And so what area uh, are most important for them to grow in their life? We want them uh, to have confidence. Uh, confidence, not, not, not arrogance, not to be cocky, but a confidence. Do they recognize who God created them to be? And are they comfortable living out that identity? Just going, you know what? I know exactly who God created me to be. I, I got nothing to prove and nobody to impress. I know, I know who God created me to be. And I don't have to compare myself to anybody else, but I'm confident that this is how I live my life because this is who God created me to be. Uh, Do they have uh, character? Do they have a moral center? Do they understand integrity? Do they know the difference between right and wrong? Uh, Do they have compassion? Do do they understand that the world does not just revolve around them, that the world is bigger than just their lives? And do do they move towards the hurts of other people? And competence, are they able to use the gifts that God's given them to function and thrive in the world today? Are they able to take whatever tools and abilities and talents and resources and influence God's given them? And can they use those? To make a difference in the world. See, I would respectfully submit that we spend some time thinking through the end result that we want with our kids. And going, okay, what are are the things? What does my list look like? What are the things I want with my kids that by the time they leave our house, this is what we want? Because we've got 936 weeks to do it. And later is longer. And so, God, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here's the fourth thing that we want with our kids a fully transferred dependence on God. Here's what that means. Uh, early on, when our kids are younger, they depend on us. And the dependence, as they get older, they depend on us a little bit less and a little bit less. Like when kids are born, they depend on you for everything, right? You've got to feed them, you've got to change them, you've got to clothe them, you've got to keep them warm, you've got to keep them alive. They depend on you to stay alive. You're doing everything shy of breathing for them. And sometimes you do that. And the truth is, as they get older, they learn to dress themselves. They learn to go to the bathroom. <laughs> uh, they learn to, they learn to um, you know, feed themselves. They learn how to do things for themselves. And so the dependence becomes less and less. And at a certain point, they're dependent on you for nothing. And we want them to transfer that dependence from us to God. Early on, they trust that we're going to feed them. They trust that we're going to clothe them. They trust that we're going to shelter them. But eventually... We want that trust to be transferred to God, that they recognize God is actually the one who provided all of that for our parents, and he'll provide it for us. And we transfer that dependence from uh, our parents to God. And so let me ask you this question as we sort of wrap up this series. What is the spiritual legacy of your family? What are you doing to point your kids towards a dependence or a trust on God? What does that look like? Every family has a spiritual legacy. What will your family legacy be? Steve Jobs changed the way we live and utilize technology. That's his legacy. Mark Roberts was a professional streaker. That's his legacy. Right? Hey, in fact, he never had a job. He lived in unemployment. As of 2013, he had streaked 518 times at every major sporting event in the world, including the Super Bowl and the running of the Bulls in Spain. Not something I'd recommend doing without clothes on. Unbelievable. In fact, we have a picture of him at that event. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Ernest Hemingway is known for writing, that's his legacy. Thomas Edison, known for inventing, that's his legacy. Not every legacy is a good one. There's horrible legacies through the years, through the ages. Adolf Hitler, horrible legacy, right? Uh, Osama bin Laden, Joseph Stalin, Nickelback, all kinds of horrible legacies. What kind of legacy will your kids be a part of? When they think about their childhood, what will be at the core? What will be at the center? What will be the thing that they just go, and this is what our family was about? Will they go, we were successful. My parents were really funny. My dad was a great golfer, he could belch the alphabet. Will they go, we loved that we got to go on a vacation once a year? What, what is the defining mark of your family? Or are you working to ensure that something matters more than all of that? That there's something deep in the core of who they are that is so much deeper than anything on the surface? What is that legacy for your family? How, how your kids view God is going to bleed its way into every aspect of their life. Whatever their view of God, whether they, whether they hold God in high esteem, whether they have a relationship with God, love God, trust God, or don't trust God and have no relationship with God and don't think about God, whatever their view of God, it's going to bleed its way into how they do every part of their life. It's going to impact the way that they handle themselves in a marriage relationship. It's going to impact the way that they handle themselves as parents. It's going to impact the way that they handle their finances. It's going to impact the way that they handle integrity and ethics It's going to impact the way that they handle friendships and relationships, the way that they uh, serve their job, the way that they're as an employer or an employee. Whatever their view of God, I'm just telling you, it bleeds its way into every part of our lives. It does it for you. It's going to do it for them. And so here's the question. What are you doing to ensure that they're starting to have a dependence on God? Because it's going to impact every part of their life. There's a few verses from the scriptures that inform this. Uh, One is the one we read the very first week. This is the Apostle Paul writing in Ephesus. And he says, parents, bring your children up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Bring them up. He says, don't provoke them to anger. Don't exasperate them, but bring them up. Lovingly guide them and instruct them. What are you doing to do that? Another one is from the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, This is written uh, thousands of years ago. And it says, repeat God's commands again and again to your children. The idea being that this isn't like, oh man, my kid got expelled from school, we better send him to church once. It's, no, 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 this is something that's woven into the fabric of your everyday rhythm. That every day we're discussing, we're walking through, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it looks like. This is how we respond. This is how we live. In light of what God has done for us, this is how we live. When you wake up and when you go to bed and when you're at home and when you're on the road, this is woven into the rhythm of our lives. And then another one comes from Proverbs. This is Solomon writing, and he says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. And let me, quick caveat about this verse. This is a proverb, it's not a promise. And some people think, well, I I did all the stuff you're talking about, Jeremiah, and my kids still decided to walk away from God. And can I just tell you something? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you do everything you know to do, and for whatever reason, a kid says, nope, and they turn their back on God. And it's not because this promise didn't come true. This is a proverb. A proverb means this. Generally speaking, this is how life works. But there are some outliers. And so the apostle, or or, uh, King Solomon, is writing in the Proverbs, and he says, Direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they won't leave it. Generally speaking, this rings true. But for some of you, you have, well, I have have a son or a daughter that's estranged, or they've left the faith, and I did everything I could. And I, I trust that you did. And sometimes all you can do is continue to pray for them, continue to love them, and at some point believe that they will come back to the faith that you instilled in them. But for those of us who have kids at home, man, put them on that path now as much as you can. We want to do everything that we can as parents to let our kids know, even though they're dependent on us when they're younger, as they grow, they can fully transfer that dependence to God. He will never leave them. He will never forsake them. He is the one who has provided for us every step of the way our trust is in him that's the number one goal in our family my wife and i will stop at nothing to help our kids transfer their dependence from us to god now here's what i know you can't make a kid love god you can't force a kid to have faith but you can influence them spiritually and you can leave an example of faith for them to follow mom dad you are the most significant spiritual influence in the life of your kids A a love for Jesus, a faith in Jesus is not something that is just taught. It is something that is caught. It is something that they pick up on in you. And they will never move in that direction for the most part if they don't see it in you first. If they don't see that in you, they're not going to naturally move in that direction. So what are you doing to impact them spiritually? And this goes against how we think as a culture. We think, okay, if I, if I want my kids to learn how to dance, I take them to dance lessons. If I want them to learn how to swim, I take them to swim lessons. If I want them to learn karate, then I show them, you know, Ralph Macchio, Karate Kid, 1984. And if we want to grow spiritually, we drop them off at church and we hope for the best, right? Because that's where they get faith. But kids will only pick up what they see in you. And if you're not connected to the church family and you're not growing in your faith, there's a really good chance they won't either. And I'm not attacking any particular area, but here's one thing that I've seen and I've had this conversation over and over and over again. And please hear me because I'm saying this because I care about you and your family. But I'm just telling you, I'm not attacking youth sports. I played youth sports when I was a teenager, but I'm telling you, here's a troubling conversation I've had with a lot of parents. My kids just really don't have any faith. You know, they're, they're graduated high school, they're living as young adults, but for some reason our faith and our love for Jesus never took root in their hearts. But very, very often, it is the same parents who never make being a part of church uh, a priority. And what happens is the sports schedule ran the family schedule. And that became the priority. And when you schedule for a priority, you teach your kids what the priority is. And I'm just telling you, I'm not picking on you sports, but here's what I know. There were many Sundays as a 13, 14, 15-year-old that I sat in church with a basketball jersey on, missing game one of a weekend tournament on a Sunday, going, come on, preacher, get done, (laughs) knowing I'd get to play in game two in the afternoon, but I was going to be in church on Sunday because here's what my parents wanted me to know. Sports are good, but they're not God. They wanted to plant something deep in me, in my heart, in the soul of my heart that said, man, Sports will let you down. Every Minnesota sports fan knows that that's true. (laughs) But God will never let you down. Don't build your life on something that can just be taken away so easy. Build your life on something that matters, that has eternal value. So as a kid, I learned that. And as a follower of Jesus, I want my kids to understand that. I want them to understand that faith in Jesus is not just one more aspect of our life. It's not, it's not one more spoke on this wheel. It's like, oh, my job, and I got friendships, and I got relationships, and I got neighborhood, and I got faith, that's part of it. No, 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 faith in Jesus is the axle around which everything else is built. And sometimes I hear this, well, my kid doesn't really like church, so I don't really want to force them to do something that they don't like. Can I just ask you, do you take that approach in all of your parenting? Well, my kids just love pizza every day, so we just let them do it. Really? Well, they love pudding at every meal so we just eat, we eat pudding seven times a day you don't take that approach in any arena of parenting but for some reason when it comes to church we go well i can't force my kids to have faith so i'm not going to force them to go to church can I just tell you bring your kids to church they're not going to like it any less what have you got to lose at some point you have to say okay while you live in our household And while I'm in authority, this is what we do as a family. And you may not like it, but this is what we do. And when you're 18 and you're living on your own, you can do what you want to do, but this is what we do in this family. Try to do something to connect your kids to something deeper in their life. And the danger for us is that we don't do that. So how are you serving others? How are you uh, forgiving when someone offends you? Do you say things like, ah, the church just wants my money? Or do you teach, we are the managers of all that God has given. We have a responsibility as parents to paint a picture of God that makes him worth following. If we want our kids to have faith. Last thing, men. Uh, when mom leads the family to church, kids follow 17% of the time, statistically speaking. When dad, when you're committed to saying, nope, we're going to lead the family to church, then 93% of the time kids follow and pick up on it. You have a big impact. Don't ignore this and say, well, someday I'm going to influence them. You have 936 weeks. Some of you have 512 weeks. Some of you have 50 weeks. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And here's, here's how I want to end this series, because three weeks we've talked talking about parenting and kids, and here's two things I want you to know. Number one, it's never too late to do something. And if you're like, man, where were you 20 years ago? Uh, my kids are grown and gone. I wish I would have heard this. It's never too late to do something. God works with what is. He does not work with what should have been. Secondly, I want you to know you're invited to be a part of God's family. The whole, met, the whole point of the scriptures, cover to cover. God is building a family and he wants you in it. And so if you've never said yes to being a part of God's family, I want to invite you to say yes. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, we've got these for free. You can grab one on your way. Uh, we'd love for you to begin to open up the scriptures for yourself and r- learn about how much God loves you and cares about you. But if you've never said yes, whether you're online or in person, you can just agree with this prayer as we close in, in prayer. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for those times that I walked away from you. I thank you that you never walked away from me, and I pray, make me your son, make me your daughter. I say yes to that invitation, because that's how you see me. And then help me to put my trust in you and follow you as best as I know how. And God, for every one of us who are parents and grandparents and step-parents and foster parents, and God, have influence in the lives of kids, as we reflect on what it looks like to instill something in our kids, something that is so deep and valuable and eternal, Give us the wisdom to know what to do. Give us the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.